Our scripture text this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Listen for a word from God. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the message you have for us today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, my friend Mark in Colorado loves to hike and has been involved in a lot of trail restoration projects, and he started to get involved with this group called the American Forestry Foundation. And one of the things he taught me not long ago was about how to create a path how to make a hiking trail, particularly in a wooded area in the wilderness um, where there is no trail to begin with. And so this organization, the American Forestry Foundation, uh, has a training on this and they printed this, this guide. And they have four steps to creating a path in the wilderness, to making a new hiking trail. And I would have thought you'd just kind of take a chainsaw and go for it, but actually it's a little more intricate than that. Step one, they say, which makes a lot of sense, is to mark out where you want to go, to figure out your destination, your starting point, and to generally map out where you want the path to be. Mark it with some uh, fluorescent tape or GPS markers or something, just so that you kind of know where you want to end up. Step two, then, is to actually clear the trail. And the interesting thing about this step is they say the most effective way to clear a trail is to start with the small stuff. Remove all the branches, the shrubs, the grasses, the things that are close to the ground. And don't worry on first pass at the big trees or the boulders or the large things in your way. You will be much more prepared to actually make this path if you start with the small stuff and then go back later to chop down trees or move boulders or any of the big things. Then once you've done that, step three, which most people don't do, is to reinforce the weak spots of the trail. To notice where many, many feet or rain might cause erosion or lead to places that are, that are weaker and then to do something about it. To add rocks or pavers or logs so that it is sturdy for the ones that come after you. And then the last step is to put up signs to mark your trail, to note for people that are coming after you where they are, what the name of the trail is, how far they have to go, to warn them about what dangers might be in the distance so that they know what is ahead. 
These four steps to creating a path in the woods, I think, are so beautiful and describe exactly what John the Baptist does. They describe so beautifully what our work is in the season of Advent. Make a pathway for the Lord. This second Sunday of Advent, we think about peace, about how far the world feels from peace right now. And we hear this call from Mark's Gospel. I love getting into Mark's Gospel because his is the quirkiest and the shortest and the most concise of all of the Gospels. And you know if you're reading something in the Gospel of Mark that it is one of the biggest hits. It is an important story because he only included the essentials. It's widely understood that Mark was the first gospel written. It's not the first as it appears in our Bible, but it was the first one written closest to the time of Jesus. And it's the one that was used as a source for Matthew and Luke as they constructed their gospels. So you know that it's the really important stuff, and anytime you come across a quirky story or a strange story that leaves you scratching your head a little bit, odds are it's from Mark. And so this is how he chooses to begin. This is the very beginning of Mark's gospel. And what's interesting is it's not the traditional Christmas story that we think of. It's not the story of angels and a manger and a wild star. It's a story of a man eating bugs in the wilderness, telling people to repent. Why would Mark have begun this gospel in that way? And not only with John the Baptist, but by putting the words of Isaiah in John the Baptist's mouth to look even further back into the time of exile, when the people of God had been in Babylon after 70 years away from their home. And so this is how Mark says the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, actually begins by looking even further back to remembering the people of God when they were in a time where they were longing so deeply for peace and for home. After 70 years of exile, many of them could hardly remember what the home was that they might get to go back to someday, and so these words would have sounded like an impossible hope a messenger is coming to prepare the way, prepare the way for the Lord, make the path straight, you're going home. This was the way to start the gospel because there's a new kind of homecoming that John is calling the people to. Even though they're in their homeland right now, there's a new way that God is going to show up. God is going to move in a new way that feels like home. And so he's saying, pay attention. John the baptizer gets their attention and tells them to repent. He's in the wilderness away from the seats of traditional religious power, and people are drawn out to him. You don't just happen upon the wilderness. You have to very intentionally go. It's not a place that people would have willingly walked otherwise. But something about him is compelling enough that everyone from the city and the surrounding areas come and hear his message of repentance. 
John got a lot of praise. Many people wondered if he could have been the Messiah. And it would have been very easy for him to kind of sink into that feeling and say, well, yes, do the things I say. I actually am making a lot of sense, aren't I? But instead, he always points away from himself toward Jesus. In fact, artwork of John the Baptist is so interesting to look at because almost every piece of famous art about John the Baptist has him pointing with his finger at heaven, at the cross, at Jesus. And in some of the paintings, people have noted his finger is almost double the size that it should be proportionally to the rest of his body to indicate what an important symbol it is. He is always pointing away from himself toward the one who he has come to prepare the way for. This is so rare in the way that we act as people. Whenever we get the chance to be praised, we usually take it. And so John the Baptist, I think, shows us a way to make a path as he points to Jesus. The Matthew and the Luke Christmas story are the ones that we are used to hearing. They're the ones that we hear every year on Christmas Eve. They're the ones that we see portrayed on lawns and in nativity scenes. And they're beautiful. It's a story of this awe-inspiring moment of stars and angels. And we watch what unfolds in this manger and we wonder about it and we feel inspired and it's great. We'll get to do that on Christmas Eve here. But I love that Mark talks about this same happening in a different way. In a way that takes us away from the audience and calls us to be participants. To follow John the Baptist in making a path. In doing those steps of deciding where to go and clearing the way from small to big and reinforcing the weak spots and putting up signs for those that follow after us to make a way for God to show up in a new way. Mark calls us to the work of Advent, not just to the glory of listening to a story of Christmas. He says it's your job too. Even though Christ has come as a baby, we are always waiting for God to show up in a new way. So help us to be ready. Go into the wilderness away from the power and the safety and the things that you know. Make a path. Repent. Reorient your whole life. Point to something beyond yourself and get ready for God to do something new. God is always doing new things. Next Sunday here at Fort Street, we will participate in our annual pop-up pageant. And this is a way to sort of play out this activity in itself. Many times churches will put on a rehearsed beautiful pageant, usually with children that we get to smile at and laugh and giggle as we see the pageant story unfold in our eyes. But at Ford Street, we make you participate. Regardless of your age, you might get handed a costume. Nobody against your will, so don't stress and not come next week. But we encourage everyone of all ages to come and act out this story on the spot. No rehearsals allowed. And you have to just sort of do what the narrator says in the moment. And it is such fun. 
And this is one of those ways that we get to be a part of the story together and remember that it's not just something to look at, but it's something to act out and to do in our own lives. The work of Advent is to enter into path building, maybe even before we feel fully ready. God is always doing something new, and as Christians, it's our job to be path builders, to call others out from the places where they might expect God to show up and to point to the new things that God is doing. I want to just end by telling you the story of a path maker who influenced my own life in a significant way. And this path builder was someone who was devoted to the cause of peacemaking in particular. His name was Brother Roger, and he was the founder of the Tizé community, an ecumenical monastery in France. And I've shared before, I was lucky enough to get to visit the Tizé community in the summer before I went to seminary. And it's a place in the south of France where thousands and thousands of people gather each year throughout the year, particularly over the summer. And a lot of young people are really drawn to this community. And the, the monastery opens itself up to these guests, and they invite folks to come join their rhythm of life for a week at a time. And the rhythm of life is this. Pray three times a day. Eat simple foods work to make the community function. Your job might be to prepare meals or to clean bathrooms or to take care of the grounds and to be in silence. It is a beautiful, simple way of life that they invite people to join them in. And young people, teenagers and young adults in particular, flock to it and feel such a sense of belonging there. I think a lot of that has to do with the way Brother Roger set it up in his, his philosophy and general way of being. In the very beginning, Brother Roger had this image for a place of peace, particularly among people who might not get along otherwise. So in 1940, he and his sister bought a home in the south of France. It was the unoccupied part of France at that point, and they created a safe haven. They welcomed in refugees, Christians and Jewish refugees, and as the war got really intense, they became a hiding place and a place where people of all backgrounds on all sides and all religions could come and find hope and peace and community. And then when the authorities got wind of this, they had to flee, but they continued their peacemaking work. And after the war was over, Brother Roger moved back into the south of France, and he started this intentional community. And he very intentionally said, this is going to be a place not just for one type of Christian, for Catholics, for Protestants, for agnostic, curious people to just come and be together, people that are at war in other parts of the world. We will be together, and we will sit around tables here, and we will live a simple life. And one of my favorite things about Brother Roger is that he would be, there were so many points in his life when people would see what he was doing and that it was so different and they wanted to give him awards and offer him praise and write articles about him and interview him on TV and he would always say no and point his finger like John the Baptist. He said the real story is the peace work. The real story is the community. It's not me. In fact, he didn't even like to preach or to teach. 
He said, you know, when we're together, the real work is to read the scripture and to leave silence. God is working in the hearts of the people, and if you make the path, God will speak to them. And so even today, still, even since Brother Roger's passing, the three prayer times every single day, there's not a teaching, there's not a sermon, it doesn't feel like a service as many of us are used to, but there are songs, there are chants, there is scripture reading, and then there is a long period of silence. 10, 15, sometimes even 20 minutes of silence every day, and thousands and thousands of young people, teenagers and young adults, sit on the floor in a prayerful silence and experience the presence of God. Brother Roger and those in the Tizay community since have traveled to places where there is war and there are groups that are fighting and they bring this sense of peace everywhere they go. A peace that's not set up on a reconciliation program that you have to follow, but on getting people to share space and to sit in a room together, to hear scripture, and to be in silence. Everywhere he goes, Brother Roger prepared a path, pointed away from himself, set up supports for those that were following behind him, and marked it out with signs of reconciliation and peace. This is our job this Advent. Where do you feel called to be a path builder for those around you? Someone that can point to God's new work in the world, point to the hope of Christmas, and support those all around you. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for the peacemakers in our midst. In a world that feels so torn down by war and conflict, God, help us to shine a light on them.